She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, welcome everybody. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Uh, it's our first live show since the new year and I don't know about you but I am ready for 2019 and excited about my guest today. I also want to say I hope you're following us on Facebook uh, at My360Karma and also on Twitter and Instagram. Lots of good conversations going on about women's empowerment in the new year and we are ready to rock and roll. So uh, today I have on a very special guest. We're going to be talking about about aging in America. She's the perfect person to be talking about it. She's the president of the Jewish Home. Please give a warm welcome to Molly Forster. Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thank good, you. good. Uh, wow, you've had an amazing journey to get to where you are, and I am excited to talk about, um, believe it or not, I'm excited to talk about aging, <laughs> uh, because we're all we're all doing it inevitably, yes. and you are the perfect person to be talking about, you know, really, what we can do about it, uh, how we can prepare for it, um, what, what are the statistics, and, you know, just uh, basically, uh, you know, w- what we can expect. You know, so uh, I want to talk about first, though, your journey here. So I know you weren't born here in California. You were born in uh, Portland, Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so funny. We just uh, traveled there last year. I fell in love with Portland. Portland yeah. is a wonderful, wonderful city. An it hour is. from the mountains, an hour from the coast. And you have all that life in yeah. Portland. And then it's right along a river. So yeah. you have everything. Was that a beautiful place to grow up? I didn't get to grow up there. We moved uh, one year after I was born to Eugene, Oregon, mm-hmm. and then two years later we moved to Roseburg, Oregon. So oh. we were in the southern part of right. Oregon. So what was it like growing up in Oregon? Was that a, a good experience? or? I think in some ways it's a kind of uh, leave-it-to-beaver kind of setting. Yeah. It was a very small town, Roseburg. Um, very small classes, a giant family. Leave it to Beaver. Do any of the millennials <laughs> even know what that is? <laughs> the ideal sort of family life. But yeah. we had. But my, I love that show. <laughs> my parents had seven children and adopted my two cousins who had lost oh their parents. Wow. And then so you I had was, a family of eight kids, nine, nine kids? kids. Wow. And then grandma. And where did you fall in. in that? I'm in the middle. You're in the middle. Okay. Middle. So was grandma a, moved in when I was six, so we had 12. It was a, you never lacked oh for a Monopoly gosh. game, a pl- game of tag or baseball or somebody to play chess yeah. with. And so it was a great growing up experience. That's great. And then you got into these, uh, I know you got your nursing degree and then got into these fields of helping people, working for the county, helping people that were handicapped and mentally ill and uh, homeless and uh, let's talk about that and how and why were you attracted to that do you think well since I am a baby boomer and over 65 by several years when I was growing up I wanted to be a doctor but my parents felt that as a woman mm-hmm. that getting into a medical school would be very difficult and my mother said being a doctor and on call 24 hours a day seven days a week how will you raise a family Right. So I didn't get a nursing degree. It's in English literature, which has nothing to do with where I ended up working. Right. But I moved after college. I moved with my husband to Orville, California, and I needed to get a job partly so I could get a, go to school for a master's. 
And the job offer that I got, I said to the gentleman, he said, how will you feel about working in a nursing home? Oh, I said, I'd never work in one of those places. They're dreadful. (laughs) This was back in 1972. And he said, well, I'm going to hire you because you are totally wrong. This is a nursing home, but you are quite observant. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he said, why don't you think it is? And I said, well... The people are dressed. They're going out for activities. Right. The building smells good, a lot of good things. I looked at the food. It looks great. And he, I said, I thought you were running like a room and board hotel or someplace like that. And he said, oh, no. He said, this is a nursing home. You have potential. Yeah. So a month later, he said, if you want to learn, you have to work six days a week and pretty much do everything I say, but I will give you the training. You'll be my one and only. So I took anatomy, physiology, microbiology, medical terminology, all kinds of accounting classes, and I worked full-time. Then he was my first boss, and to this day I am grateful because he challenged me for lifelong learning. That's awesome. You know, I always find in life all the different things that we do usually uh, lead us to what we're supposed to be doing ultimately, right? And so all of these things that I heard you do in your past really led you to this path of becoming the president of the L.A. Jewish Home. So you brought so much experience to the table. But uh, you did, you know, share with me the things you did on the way up and uh, the things in Oregon working with homeless and uh, you know, the vagrant hotel that you were telling me where you help place people in housing. And I mean, that really sounds very challenging. And, uh, you know, as as people are aging and more and more people are homeless, I know it's going to be an even bigger problem. It already is here in L.A. and San Francisco, I'm sure probably in the rest of the country. Um, what do you think we're going to do uh, in in long-term care with all of these people? And what has your experience been? Uh, having worked with them been as to where this is headed healthcare wise I think that America has accomplished a lot of its goals in 1965 it was very unusual to find someone who had actually lived to be over the age of 70 right so when Medicare came out the idea was to allow us to live longer and survive uh, hip fracture strokes etc so the advent of hospitals and Medicare and nursing homes and doctors getting paid for care all came about as part of Medicare, and it did work. Yes. We now live to longer and longer. The government didn't really anticipate that living longer also meant that some of us would need a little bit more help for chronic care. Right. Medicare is focused at acute care needs, so it deals with it when you go to the hospital immediately after that. Right. Or you have a minor procedure and you get home help. But there is nothing about Medicare that deals with chronic care issues. Wow. Yet... Eighty-seven percent of healthcare dollars spent in America go for chronic care issues. So, while people are all screaming about Medicare takes up so much money, it only really uh, applies to five percent of the medical issues. Medicare is actually twenty percent of the Medicare uh, dollars are the discretionary. Twenty percent of our Medicare dollar of our overall discretionary is Medicare dollars. Mm -hmm. And the welfare is a little bit less. I think it's like 16%. Mm -hmm. But when you add up everything that America pays for health care in 2016, we spent $3.3 trillion. Right. But 5% of Medicare beneficiaries and 5% of the people on the welfare health program ate up 50% of $3.3 trillion. Wow. So 
since that is a lot of you have a chronic issue, it gets exacerbated. The five percenters are in the hospital eight to 12 times a year. So if you have a program that actually can help people be maintained and stabilized at home, then you can save Medicare money and Medi-Cal money. And the people are happier because everyone would rather be sick and be at home in their own bed. Now, I'm so surprised (laughs) for you saying that since you run a home, because I want to talk about that. Only 5% of people actually go to a home, right? 5% 5% are in a nursing home. In a nursing home. But about 15% live in t- some type of setting where they have their housing and services. Like a senior care living. Like an independent hotel, assisted living. Maybe they live in like a rooming house mm-hmm. or a foster home. But it is a small percentage considering it's still 80%, right? Yes. That are living at home. So um, so I want to talk about what makes you an expert on this. So you uh, actually came to California to run this nursing home, but then your journey took you back to California because your parents... Back to Oregon uh, because my parents me, got ill. Back to Oregon, I meant to say, uh, because your parents got ill, which happens to so many people and that's why I want to talk about this because I think our listeners, many people in our age group are taking care of their parents or will be. And that's huge, especially uh, parents like your situation that have Alzheimer's. And so we're going to, after they passed, um, I know you came back to California and took this position. And I thought the interesting caveat was that you had gotten married (laughs) and you had uh, converted to Judaism. And I thought, wow, didn't that change your life? Because here you end up being the president of the Jewish home. So, I mean, I don't even know if could that have happened had you not converted. I don't know. but Probably uh, it could have happened. Maybe. There yeah. are Jewish homes in the United States yeah. where the CEO and um, CEO and president are not actually Jewish. Oh, okay. Um, but I always think I met it a— couldn't lo- hurt. <laughs> I met a lovely woman in 1980 when I moved here— um, named Lillian Lieberman. She still lives out in the Gura Hills. And Lillian introduced me to Judaism and started my studies. So oh. when I chose to be Jewish, I consider meeting my husband, Erwin, which didn't happen until 82, was sort of my reward for choosing to be Jewish. Oh, I love that. Um, but he was very kind when my parents got ill. He mm-hmm. said, you're going up almost every weekend to oversee their care. And he said, let's move there at least for a year, and you can see how how it is with your parents, Mm -hmm. and I'll see how it is to live in Oregon, which environmentally and socially has a reputation of being very advanced, et cetera. Right. So we moved up. Wow, that was great. I like him already. Me too. (laughs) But one year extended into five and a half years because Uh my dad died a couple years after I got there, and then my mother was— And she was alone, and you had to stay, and— well, she ended up in a nursing home the last two and a half years. But I think what what is interesting is there are right roles. It's the right setting at the right time. Right. When I moved there, my mother could be at home. She belonged at home. My father was happier with her being there. But as you advance in the disease, then some things happen and change. And so my mother lost judgment. Mm-hmm. So she'd wake my father at a very bad heart at 2 in the morning. We're late for a party. Get up and go. Quick, quick. They'd be driving around Eugene. Nothing would be open. And my mother would break into tears. Oh, no. I don't remember. I don't remember. Right. So my father's health was in danger. And then my mother became very intolerant of the home caregivers, kept trying to throw them out the door, lock right. them outside. Right. Alzheimer's is not an easy thing to deal with. Very, very difficult. Right. And no matter even coming up there, 
and having worked from 72 to 1990 in this in dealing with senior care in care alternatives home care I never knew what I didn't know until I moved up to take care of my mom and dad. And, you know, taking care of your mom, I think, really had such an impact on what you were going to do next, which was come back here in 96, 15 years ago and become the president of the Jewish home. And I love that you said you wanted to create an environment that you wish your mother could have had. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And that you, but had you not had that experience, you might not even have understood what she needed or should have had. So I don't uh, think I would have had the yeah. same sensitivity of yes. looking at it through my mother and father's eyes. Right. But Mr. Fry, journey. the per- first person who trained me, said, You have to watch the money and be careful on what you spend and make sure you always have the money to do what you need to do. But he right. said, Every day, You must walk through and you must feel proud of what your staff does in the building Mm -hmm. and the operation you have because staff who work in elder care are extraordinary human beings. I agree. I know even the uh, my when my dad passed, I know the caretakers were just amazing. I used to just just be amazed at, at what they're able to do and I just thought wow I don't know that I could ever do that they are they are like earth angels aren't they yes yeah yes yeah. and I have never found that they do not want to do what's right and often they're my best advisors because when we have had challenges I've always been able mm-hmm. to meet with the employees it's a little bit more difficult now because we have many more than we had we serve 4,000 seniors a year mm-hmm. so in residence with us is about 1,250. So the mm-hmm. rest is all out in the community, which I think is the right direction we need to go. Mm-hmm. But when somebody does need some extra support and round-the-clock care and wants the security of knowing they need help, they just press a button and someone is there, mm-hmm. then being able to have absolutely um fine quality mm-hmm. in a setting where they are with others. Mm-hmm. We, I think that's an absolute uh, must is that uh, in order for people to have a quality life as they get older like that, to have community. So do you think because of that, because the isolation is bad for one's health and mind, do you think it's going to change that more and more people will move into assisted living? Like, you know, I know there's a huge baby boomer uh, segment happening right now that's getting older. Right. Uh, that would include us. Yes. <laughs> and I know you said there's like 60 million of them on Medicare now. It's going to be 77 million. In huge, 10 years. Huge. Yeah. Um, so w- what would be your advice to people in that baby boomer sector or anybody that's getting older um, to prepare for getting older? Should we be looking at where we might move to. I know you said if you're going to stay in your home, be sure you're, you know, by the time in your 60s, you're buying something on a one level so that in your 70s and 80s, you're one level. But how do we uh, perpetuate community? And one of the things you told me you're opening in the Valley is this uh, center uh, that's going to be like a membership thing where people can go and there's going to be programs and yoga and fitness and classes and Maybe it's that, like if you did want to stay in your home, right. like to belong to some sort of community center where all these things are happening. Because oh, that's obviously, a great question. Yeah. And you were, 
We have to, as Americans, and for a long time we've been facing the fact that seniors are going to be a greater and greater percentage of our population. Yeah, because a lot are going to get older. Not me and you, but other people. <laughs> 2030, we will have more people over the age of 65 than under 18 for children. Yeah. And if we come together as a community and decide that we can do things to make a difference. So when you talk about what we hope to create is a longevity center. So people would be able to say, I want a membership there. They have a clinic. I can see doctors. I get my teeth cleaned. I can go to the cyber cafe and work. I can go to a class on how to use my new iPhone. I can swim, work out. I can go to an educational program. But all across America, individuals, it's called building community. And it used to be, frankly, women who built a community. Mm -hmm. We had the potluck suppers, everybody bring a thing to the Grange Hall, um, which in Oregon we did a lot around Grange Halls. But every community, you find a space and you draw people in and you arrange for them to have educational programs and an opportunity to share a meal. So at Jewish Home, 22 years ago when I started, we had about 100 volunteers every month who came to the home to help us. We now have about 500 volunteers, and almost all are senior citizens. Now, you all started in the Valley, but now you're over here in Playa Vista. and we got, Our programs uh, go from Lancaster to Long Beach. Oh, my gosh, Lancaster to Long our, Beach. Wow. Our campuses, we have three in the Valley and one at Playa Vista. And where but, you used to just, you started with maybe 100 residents, now you have like 1,500, is it? We started with 500, and 500. now we have almost 1,300, 1,300 in residents. In residents, and then about 4,000 you help every- in total yeah so a lot of them will come for like short-term rehab and go home and then we might follow them home to support them to make sure they get home and they stay home that's because that's people. the goal yeah but if you have a friend who goes to the hospital or isn't well what mm-hmm. do you do right you bring food you call to check on how they are you offer to come in and help them with something and if you're a family member maybe you pay for a caregiver But you also need, if you're going to pay for home care, you need to structure the home care worker. Don't assume that they're going to take them out for a walk every day. Right. Don't assume that they're going to give them small meals, like five small meals a day. Right. Which for most homebound elderly is actually better than three meals a day. Right, right. So building community means that we need to help each other as neighbors and family members. Right. And you can't look. And don't you think in America we've gotten away from that? Yes. Like all these neighborhoods, like people don't even know their neighbors, or even if they live in an apartment building, they don't know their neighbors. What is up with that? Is it? I don't know if it's social media or just our culture has changed. Uh, but uh, it used to be when people were growing up that they hung out with their neighbors, had dinner with their neighbors. I, don't you feel like there's a lot less of that? Well. I mentioned my grandmother moved in. So my grandmother and my mother was raised that every Friday her mother made bread and soup. And she had a beeline on anyone who wasn't well. And we would, when we were little kids, we'd pick up what grandma and mom made, deliver it to homes around. Oh, that's so so nice. So this was in your DNA. (laughs) Caregiving and nurturing a community. So my parents were great volunteers and leaders and we don't do enough to encourage volunteerism and Mm -hmm. we don't look beyond ourselves and it's an attitude Mm -hmm. that my mother said when you get to be 80 your friends begin to pass away and when you don't see well and you don't go out at night as often how do you make new friends right so if we can establish centers where seniors can get together in a temple a synagogue a community center a va building vets building or whatever 
and give them an opportunity to actually have lives of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So I consider it to be partly you have to have a senior's attitude. You can walk on a walker. You don't see well. You don't hear well. does not mean you cannot do things and get involved in community and have friends. Right. So at Jewish Home, um, the volunteers who come in, they work two hours with us. We allow them to share a meal for lunch or dinner with our residents. Oh. So other volunteers are there. So they're sharing a social experience. It's a very well-cooked and nutritious meal. Yeah. It helps them financially a little bit. It rewards them for helping us. I love that. What a great program. So yeah. people listening could uh, become a volunteer at the Jewish Home, come over and have a meal, uh, that helps uh, both them and the person that they're dining with, and they interact with your residents so that they have company. I love that. That's brilliant. But it could be done at school. When they sure. have a school lunch program, ask yeah. for volunteers and make arrangements for them to have lunch. Right. I think so, that we miss the fact that we ask people, why do you want to come to the home? Half of the applicants say they want to come in because they have a medical or a health need and need a little bit of help. The other half say, they're alone and they're lonely. Right. My favorite is yeah. a gentleman who came from Lancaster. Came down in his car, he's moving in all his stuff, doing all the paperwork, turning in all of his papers, and he says to the admission people, well, you haven't asked me about my certificate. And they said, certificate? And he said, I've been tested for AIDS and I don't have it. I'm here to find a wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard the pretty action-oriented. <laughs> Good for him. And you know, I want to also say people that are in the entertainment industry, uh, uh, people that are musicians and stuff, like I know my father-in-law plays piano at the old folks' homes, and I love it because he's in his 80s himself, and I'm like, he is so rocking. You know, he goes in there and plays for the uh, uh, older people there, and I think that's a beautiful thing, and people should uh, give their gifts to give back to places like this so that they, you know, uh, what a wonderful way to volunteer, to, to do, go to these senior centers and help out like that. Well, yeah. and volunteers in America, we all think... Because we're all going to be there one day, right. yeah. We all think that volunteers are mainly the older people or people who don't have jobs. Actually, most volunteers come from working adults. Mm -hmm. But I think for older Americans, a lot of it is they don't know how to get engaged because mm -hmm. most of us get our friends and our outlets through work. Right. But when you stop working, you don't yes. have that same exposure. Right. So, and like you said, your friends pass away, and then who... Who are you turning to? So um, I, we ha I know this uh, would go so fast and we have to wrap up, um, but, you know, aging is such a huge thing. So many of our listeners are, uh, I'm sure, are thinking about their future. I, I know you and I talked about ways for people to prepare. Um, you know, obviously it's important to continue to exercise, not just your body, but your brain. Absolutely. Uh, continue to socialize. And for those that can, uh, if they haven't already, get long-term care if they can and start looking at what might be an alternative if they couldn't live at home or what community centers are out there for meeting new people and socializing, like what opportunities are there. But be sure not to isolate and not to let their parents isolate, right? That's right. Yeah. And distance caregiving is more and more as younger people move away from their parents. Yes. But the biggest thing is to make sure that they have access, that they're not alone sitting in a house or an apartment. And 
As one lady said to me, well, someone calls every day, but one time the volunteer called and she said, oh, you're still alive. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's terrible. So if you're going to have a program, it has to be where you can actually engage. There's a wonderful movement that's going across America that, frankly, two temples in Beverly Hills have just started, but it's called The Village and it's based upon getting connected through the internet, supporting each other, and I ride on it. I really want to go to this theater production, and someone else in the village says, well, I'd like to go, and pretty soon you have six people that are going to go to dinner and meet Now, let there. me ask you this. So these people know how to use the internet? Uh, well, actually, the fastest-growing segment to use the internet and computer are people over 65. Oh, my God, I love it, because uh, I know my parents-in-law, they uh, actually do use the computer in their 80s. I'm so impressed, and um, I think so a message might be that if your parents are not internet sa savvy and you don't live near them, be sure to help them uh, get internet savvy enough that they could look up something like the village what a wonderful idea or start yeah. a village in their community that but they can do it with a church a synagogue any community organization where the members are getting older figure a way to still engage yeah. and offer opportunities for them to pursue lifelong learning and, and in order to get on the village they just google the village they can google the village and then they need to find a local sponsor so, I love that what a great piece of advice to wrap up with <laughs> yeah well thank you like I said I know everybody's getting older except you and me so yes. I'm glad we had this conversation me too <laughs> thank you thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you next week same time same place make it a great day Hugs and happiness.